The Way Out Podcast, episode 371. What are your names? I'm Alexander Peacock. And my name is Nolan Wright. Alexander and Nolan, thank you so much, both of you, for taking time to be on The Way Out Podcast. We're going to shoot some opening questions to each one of you. Alexander, you get to go first on this question. What was your substance of choice or DOC if you had one? Uh, it was opiates, um, for short, heroin. And in the end, it was heroin, for sure. And Nolan? Yep, same here, but really, you put anything in front of me, I'm doing it. Uh, but my favorite was definitely opiates, uh, specifically heroin and fentanyl. You know, I very much relate with it. If it was in front of me, you know, I was likely to do it. Except for cocaine, because my younger brother scared the bejesus out of me when it came to cocaine. But pretty much everything else. But definitely had a drug of choice. Mine was alcohol. So, Alexander, if you keep yes, one, sir. what is your clean end or sober date? My sober date is February 5th, 2018. Congratulations, Alexander. That is a tremendous achievement in terms of meaningful and enduring recovery. Thank you. Thank you. And Nolan. Yes, sir. My uh, clean date, sobriety date, is January 26, 2018. Pretty close. Did you two get sober together? Did you get into recovery together? Yes, sir. That's so cool. I can't wait to talk about that. That is tremendous. And you started Recess Games together. So that is just amazing. I can't wait to talk more about that as well. Nolan, you're up first this time. How do you serve the recovery community? Yeah, I think uh, in multiple different ways, mostly with uh, Recess Games USA Incorporated. Um, You know, helping guys that are early early in recovery, but also just on recovery in general. Um, Have fun. Learn to have fun in recovery, but also build connections and, and build a big positive network. That's that's really the goal. I love every bit of that. It, community and connection is such a big part of recovery. It can often be the most difficult part to achieve for a lot of us. So it's a tremendous way to serve the recovery community is to provide avenues for folks to be able to tap into, build community and connection. Alexander, I assume it's maybe somewhat similar to Nolan, but how do you serve the recovery community, sir? Yes, sir, Uh, it is very similar to Nolan's, um, also in a lot of different ways. Uh, For one, I'm the program director of a treatment center in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, Obviously, Recess Games USA, um, Nolan and I started that and, you know, the, the whole purpose of our mission is to pair people in recovery with the people of community to build a meaningful and purposeful life. So our foundation is connection. And then, you know, individually in, in solitude, you know, I may help out someone feeding them some food or flying signs on the side of the highway, just wherever I go. And that's because I have to, uh, as you probably know, Charles. I do very well know that it is really core to my recovery program is to be of service in and out of the rooms of recovery. I got to take it out into the world. There's a quote that uh, 
really stuck with me when I was in treatment with Nolan. And I read Muhammad Ali said, uh, service is the rent that you pay to be a human um, citizen. Um, everyone should do service, you know, and you know, me, that's just through and through who I am. I have to, like I said. Absolutely, 100%. Nolan, what does recovery mean to you? Life, life, a new way of life for me. Um, you know, before I was in recovery, it was, it was hell on earth. Um, it truly was, not just for me, but for everybody around me. And I destroyed pretty much everyone's life that came into contact with me. So once I found recovery, I, I found what life truly is about. And uh, I'm living a new way of life today, and I, I couldn't be more grateful. It's a tremendous way to sum up what recovery is, Nolan, and I couldn't agree more. Alexander, same question to you. What does recovery mean to you? Uh, pretty much the same thing Nolan just said. Um, it's just life. It's, just, it's, it's who I am today. Um, it's a continual maintenance on myself. Um, spotting out when I'm wrong in situations, trying to do better. Um, it's everything who I am. Um, just point blank, period. You alluded to purpose there, too, and identity. And integrating recovery into my identity really was a game changer for me. Pardon the pun when it comes to recess games, but something that I hid from, that I tried to hide for so long, when I made the decision to start recovering out loud and integrating it into my identity, it changed everything for me. And it opened up a whole new world of purpose. And I felt like for the first time in forever, I could bring my full self to the world and to the people that I encountered on a daily basis. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out Podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. 
Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on recovery coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on recovery coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this rendition of The Way Out, I'm ecstatic to bring you my interview with two persons in long-term recovery and the co-founders of Recess Games, Alex Peacock and Nolan Wright. The mission of Recess Games is to pair those in the community with people in recovery who are seeking healthy avenues to have good, clean fun while building a meaningful and purposeful life. The mission of Recess Games is near and dear to our hearts here at The Way Out, as we know how essential connection, community, purpose, and fun are to promoting meaningful and sustainable recovery. Nolan and Alex each share their respective journeys to and through recovery to this point with us in inspirational and candid fashion, which is just the way we like to roll here on The Way Out Podcast. Their respective experiences both prior to and in recovery share much in common and perhaps most instructive is what is unique about their experiences as they entered and traversed their early recovery. Nolan had a spectacular spiritual experience followed by a profound conviction to do whatever it takes to recover. Alex experienced a far more gradual awakening and in the beginning didn't especially even want to be in recovery. But the more distance he put between him and his last use, the more he found himself changing and truly wanting recovery, each no less powerful and each no less meaningful than the other, both just as transformational, both just as meaningful, and both proof positive that recovery is not just possible, but unquestionably worthwhile, especially if you're having a lot of fun along the way, which is unquestionably what Nolan, myself, and Alex had in the tremendous recovery discussion that's about to unfold before your very ears. So listen up. Nolan Wright and Alexander Peacock, thank you both so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us here on the Way Out podcast. You are both persons in long-term recovery, and you both co-founded Recess Games together, and you're here with us to share your journeys to and through recovery to this point with us, as well as all about what you're doing with Recess Games, and I can't wait to get into that. Before we get started, why don't you both just take a brief moment to reintroduce yourselves to the Way Out podcast audience, and we'll get started. Yes, uh, my name is Alexander Peacock. Yeah, and my name is Nolan Wright. Alex and Nolan, why don't we talk a little bit about your journeys to and through recovery up until this point? We'll start with Nolan. 
tell us a little bit about your family of origin and then a little bit about your journey to recovery. Yeah, absolutely. So me personally, something I love about uh, recovery in general is pretty much everybody that is uh, suffering from addiction or alcoholism come from different backgrounds, yet we all end up at the same place. And so my and Alex's story might be a little bit different from where we come from. But for me, I came from a, uh, a great, great family. You know, my, my dad worked very hard at his own company. Um, so pretty much I, I got whatever I wanted. And I just grew up uh, pretty much having everything. I, want, I don't want to say handed to me, but, uh, you know, I was very fortunate growing up. Um, you know, uh, played sports all my life. Uh, baseball was my main sport, but I also played football and swimming. Um, and I remember one specific story when I was really young, right about nine years old, driving downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, going to a baseball game. My dad points over to the side of the street, and there was a line of people going to the soup kitchen. They were all homeless people. And he told me, hey, if you don't make good decisions, this could be you. And I remember thinking in my head, just, what are you talking about? We're I'm sitting with you in a nice vehicle. You know, we've, we've got a really nice house. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fine. Like, our family's pretty well set up. Well, fast forward, uh, you know, just a few years later, right? I started drinking and drugging, and I ended up homeless myself. Um, and it all started in high school, right? Just having my first drink ever mm. at 16 years old, which was Four Loco. That was before they took them off the shelves and kind of, uh, um, you know, revamped the recipes. And they were a little bit more, I guess, intense. <laughs> And uh, I remember drinking it and that, that moment, that moment right then and there, and I started feeling the effects. I turned to my friend that I was drinking with for the first time and just said, I can't believe that I haven't been doing this already. Like, this was by far the best feeling I've ever felt. And it changed my life right then and there. Oh, no, that's so relatable in terms of your first experience with a mood altering substance I had a very similar thought the first time I drank for real for the first time when I was 15. Where has this been all my life? Yep. Followed by, I'm not going to let this out of my life. <laughs> right? Is you know, so 100% super relatable. And I want to highlight that, and we say this a lot on this podcast, and it's on purpose. As you said, Nolan, Substance use disorder, addiction, alcoholism doesn't discriminate. You can come from all variety of backgrounds and experience a substance use disorder. Folks can get the impression that you need some sort of trauma or mental health. And that's real in our community for sure. And prevalent in our community, for sure, but by no means is it a requirement in order to develop a substance use disorder. That's for sure. We're going to get back to your story in a second. Alexander, tell us a little bit about the family of origin for yourself and your journey to recovery. Yeah, so came from, um, I would say, a great family. Um, my mom raised me by herself. Um I'm from East North Carolina and historically um, being born in 89, it wasn't looked upon uh, positively that for, you know, woman, my mom being white. 
seven baby by a black man. So I come from a really, really good family. My great grandfather played catcher for the Red Sox, uh, extremely wealthy. Uh, but when my mother made the decision to have me, um, that kind of put her on her own, you know. So um, we were poor, but I didn't know it. I had a great childhood, ate every night. You know, there would be some nights we had to heat the house with the oven, you know. But, hey, I thought it was all fun and games. Right. Um, growing up, it was just like Nolan. It was sports and books. My mom really hounded me to make good grades and to stay active. Um, she did not want me out making – she didn't want to put the ball in my hands to make these tough decisions, you know, mingling with friends and whatnot. So it was basketball, football. Um, extremely competitive, lettered in basketball and football in high school. Made had a 3.7 in high school. Mind you, I was not touching any alcohol or drugs at the time. Never experienced with it because I'd seen what it done to other people. Um, so I was the, the the teammate like, hey, man, what are y'all doing? Like, we got a game today. We got to practice today. Let, let's not do that. Um, and then one day my senior year, a buddy of mine was like, uh, let's, let's smoke some weed before the game. And, you know, it's my senior year, you know. So I'm like, why not? What the hell? Let's, 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 get, let's get to it. We smoked and I had a phenomenal game. I had a phenomenal game. I'm like, okay, this slows the game down for me. All that nonsense that we tell ourselves, mm. you know, drugs make us perform better and all these things. And went off to college after that, um, you know, still not being a fan of drinking. I was the type of kid that had to plug his nose to take the shots and, and whatnot. Um, <laughs> so doing so, uh, you know, I started taking shots. I'm like, okay, this kind of makes my – this makes my game a little stronger with the ladies, man. This is kind of, this makes me a little cooler. This makes me the funniest person in the room, um, but too much of it. And then I become an asshole. I'm the, just the Frank the Tank type of character. Um, couldn't handle it. You know what I mean? Start experience with other things. Uh, kind of like what you guys talked about with the aha moment. Like, oh, this is it. Um, I remember being introduced to pain pills, being prescribed uh, oxycodone when I had um, mono, the kissing virus on campus. Um, once I found that it was like, oh man, I could drive on this. I'm not going to get a DUI. I'm not like nervous and paranoid. Like I am on weed. Uh, my game is strong. Everybody likes me on this. I'm not annoying. Uh, from that point on at age 22, there wasn't a day until I got sober, unless I was in treatment that I didn't have an opiate of some sort in my body. Um, and I kind of knew, you know, like I kind of had the feeling from like 22, 23, 24, once my parents pulled me out of college, that uh, this was kind of a problem, um, but it was almost like an embarrassing thing to, to, to really address. Like, okay, I haven't had a, a day I've gone without a pill, right? Um, there's no way I can keep up this, right? But it, it was a lot of struggling and silence, man. Um, and then going to treatment and it's almost like going to grad school for for drug for drug usage, right? I learned <laughs> other drugs and I learned about these other substances. And somebody mentions uh Roxy's, right? They're mentioning uh, heroin. They're mentioning all these things. They're like, oh man, it's like this, it's like this. So I go home with 30 days clean and I'm like, you know, that's that's still in the back of my head, that that H word, heroin, you know, and did that. And that was three years of just the the, the worst, uh, the, the, the most trouble I've ever gotten in my life, to be quite honest. Um, and it was just a down spiral from there until I found Healing Transitions of Lake County. Super relatable, Alex, just in terms of immediately identifying that this substance, whatever substance it is, does something for me I cannot do for myself. Exactly. And I need to continue to try to find a way to keep this in my life because this enables me to be 
who I want to be and who I think other people want me to be. Exactly. That's the key word, who other people want me to be. I think for so long, there was an issue of knowing something's missing from my life to keep me from going where I wanted to go. Um, And me thinking that was a solution for it, right? Um, Well, this makes me exactly who I want to be. People like me, um, but they didn't mention how uh, your your uh, (laughs) they didn't mention all uh, how your tolerance goes up. They didn't mention that um, this this is an expensive habit to keep up, you know. So um, that's what happens. That's exactly what happens. And they didn't mention how rapidly we can become dependent. Oh yes. Oh yes. Especially back in 2015, 16. This is really before. 2010, 11, that little period, nobody was really talking about opiate addiction or anxiety or depression or like that. It right. was like you were, um, it was a taboo thing to talk about. I talked to my dad about something like that. It was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Just just kick it, man <laughs> up. Let me punch you in the chest. Um, and that just wasn't, I was just embarrassed, man. I didn't have anybody to turn to <laughs> but drugs. Absolutely. And Alex, you mentioned treatment. So I was, Forced to go to treatment when I was 16 by my dad and my stepmom, and I was nowhere near prepared to live the rest of my life sober. So I waxed poetically about steps I had no intention on working, and I met a lot of people in that 28 days that could get a whole cornucopia of substances I had no access prior to that moment. So I love the graduate school of substance use reference there because it very much was like that for me as well. Super relatable. Nolan, tell me more about how your journey progressed so quickly from you know first use to experiencing homelessness inside of three years. Is that right? No, 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 no. Um, so yeah, yeah. My my very first drink was, I believe, if I remember correctly, sixteen. This was uh, going into my junior year of high school, um, and so at that point, everything pretty much changed in my head. Where I was like, I need to do this as much as possible. Um, I never felt better in my life. I found it, and so that's what I basically did. Right, every single weekend, uh, you know, partying as much as possible turned into weekdays turned into as going to school, uh, drinking in the bathroom, you name it. Um, which then eventually led me to smoking weed, which just added on top of that. And when it was time for me to go to college, um, I fell into this idea growing up being told you have to go to college. You got to do it. In my mind, I knew I did not want to, but I I went anyway. So I went to uh, UNC of Charlotte. Um, and as soon as I got there, I joined a fraternity. Um, and my mentality at all times was to, you, you either black out or you back out. That's what we would tell each other in the fraternities. If you're not here to black out, just get out. Um, and so that fit my narrative perfectly. Like that is what I was looking for. Um, which led me down the road of only staying at this school for half of a semester before I had to withdraw. Um, and so that's what I did is I withdrew. I convinced my parents to let me move back. Uh, actually convinced them to um, loan me money that they would have spent for school to start a company, which which I did. Um, but all that money went directly into drinking and drugs. And it escalated at that point, which roughly around 18, 19 when I left school. And right then and there, it just escalated to every day, all day, doing multiple different drugs with alcohol. 
um, just could not function, could not hold a job, no matter what job I would have, even with my own company, I would just not show up. It was, it escalated very, very quickly. And within a year, roughly around 2021 uh, years old, uh, that's when I started diving into opiates. Um, actually started with pills. And within a year from then, I was uh, shooting up heroin, um, which goes on for about a couple months. My parents actually found all my paraphernalia. Um, and they basically said that I had no choice but to go to rehab. Um, and of course, this was one of the very nice, expensive $35,000 for 30 days residential. Um, and when I got there, yeah, exactly. It was basically a vacation, uh, looking back at it. Because just like you, Charles, I had no intention of actually staying clean or sober. Yes, I would tell people, yes, I'm, I'm here to change my life. But immediately when I saw those steps, when I saw the program, I pushed back immediately, telling everybody, I am just a heroin addict. I am not an alcoholic. I'm going to be able to drink beer when I leave here. Um, you know, you can't tell me that I can't have a glass of champagne at my wedding one day, which I wasn't even dating anybody at the time. I wasn't getting married. So that was my logic. Um, and I left there, went to a sober living program down in Texas um, and was there for a couple months until I just started doing anything and everything um, just to feel different, um, which led me into a car accident. Pretty bad. Led me back to my mom's house. And uh, when I was recovering from my car accident, just drinking all over again, mm -hmm. um, which led me right back to heroin. Uh, and my first time actually going back to heroin, um, I overdosed and, uh, my it's, it's, I can go into the story if you would like, but it's a, it's a, it's a miracle I'm alive today. Um, my dad found me, um, just randomly, uh, called, called the ambulance. They had to put me, um, on basically a Narcan drip at that point. And I was on a ventilator for three days straight in the ICU. Um, and the funny thing is us addicts that that doesn't scare me right like as soon as i came to uh my first thought my very first thought was i hope they didn't find my drugs because uh, that's what i'm doing when i get out of here um that is that's my way of thinking and so i did that's exactly what i did i just went right back to it um and just kept that up until i went to another facility stayed there left went back out um spent a bunch of money and became homeless at that point. That is when I became literally homeless, living in a Walmart parking lot, uh, basically almost freezing to death in the winter multiple times, and um, went back to a facility. And that was my last time. Um, that was my last rehab ever going to, which I, which I, I happened to meet Alex at the same time, and my life changed right then and there. That's. An absolutely amazing story, Nolan, and I can't wait to talk about y'all's experience and treatment together because it's just, it's a story that I'm sure is very much worth telling. One thing you mentioned about your near-death experience and somebody listening that hasn't been through it or doesn't necessarily have exposure to the true nature of substance use disorder, addiction, alcoholism, our substance becomes so important in our brains that it becomes more important than food, than sleep, 
And that's a physiological change. Yeah. We're convinced if we don't get it, we're going to literally die. And it doesn't make sense to somebody looking at it from the outside, but it certainly feels that way. And I can very much relate uh, to that near-death experience. I had that with alcohol poisoning. I don't remember it. I blacked out. And I went completely bananas at a house party. And my best friend finds me at a dog kennel because that's the only place that they could keep me where I wasn't causing havoc. And I wasn't breathing and my lips were blue. And somehow... He was able to revive me. You know, they didn't call the cops because nobody wanted to get busted, of course. And then they proceeded to feed me an entire bottle of syrup of Ipecac. And I threw up for like five hours in that dude's garage. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Right. Right. All I wanted to do was drink again because this is what I need in order to be okay. And I survived it. And look, I'm a party legend now. So, okay. I mean, you might be the quarterback of the football team i died and came back to life again okay <laughs> yep that's that's right in a serious party cred right yeah, um, exactly. just like, and that's that mentality that you talked about nolan in terms of the frat mentality right yeah now you had to live up to that persona now you, you got the, it you, you got party. it yeah. you got it Excellent. Okay, so tell me about y'all's experience in treatment together and what treatment center was this and this was in 2018 now, yes? Yes, that's correct. All right, very, very all right. Cool. so tell me about how you meet each other in treatment. Who's? How does this happen? So uh, we came. I came to Detox on January 25th, 2018 at uh, Healing Transitions of Wake County. And this is slash a homeless shelter, right? Completely free treatment. Um, you, you trudge, quote unquote, trudge, or you walk downtown, downtown Raleigh to, to, to eat at a soup kitchen. You then walk all the way to another campus to go to classes. Um, and then you walk back to the property, um, to go to sleep, to eat, do all that good stuff, go to evening meetings. Um, but it's a, it's a homeless shelter quite literally. And it was February when, when we went, um, and it was super duper cold and the place, the soup kitchen, where we actually ate and Nolan and myself were young. So, um, we, we go to eat this place every day and like we're bundled up because we're outside all day in downtown Raleigh, seeing people our age in business suits coming out of a little law school across the street um, and like beautiful people. Right. And we're just like, here we are, you know, like this is what we're doing. Um, but if you want a little bit. So I got there on January 26th, 2018, January 25th. That was my birthday. No one got there the day after my birthday. Um, I did not have, I was not afforded the opportunity to get high my last day before I went to treatment. So you guys know how that is. You get the detox, you're free. You're like, all right, so the wheels are turning. Like I got to figure something out. Some, there's some way for me to get busy in this place. Um, I, I meet Nolan, talking to him a little bit. Um, we actually go to the shelter. They call it. this is where I was going to be staying. Once we got out of detox, um, we, uh, we get to the shelter where the program is about to start and, I'm thinking to myself, the wheels are turning. Me and Nolan have kind of hit it off already just based off being like young, athletic, kind of in the same, have the same interests and whatnot. Um, I had 20 bucks in my pockets and just people like us, that's 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 enough money to have a good time, right? You're not thinking about tomorrow. Um, so I'm, I'm looking, I spot a person who looks like he has a substance of mine that I want. Um, I find it. 
I use the substance and I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. I go to Noah and I'm like, hey, man, look, I just got um, I just got got some Suboxone. You know what I mean? Like this guy's got it. You know, we can we can get right. man. what's up? Let, let's you got 20 bucks. I got 20 bucks. That's two days of getting high. Let's not even I'm not even thinking about next week. And he didn't react the way that I thought he was going to react. His uh, his reaction was, um, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to tell him yourself? Like, what, what are you going to do? And I was like, tell him myself. Like, are you crazy? What are you tell him myself, bro. Um, and he's like, well, dude, if, like, you do this, like, you're potentially going to be kicked out. Like, your parents aren't talking to you. You haven't seen your son. You have no support. You have no money. You're going to be homeless, like, legit. No car homeless, like, sleeping under a bridge. And um, he convinced me to go tell him myself. And what that did was I had to uh, go into the, the office, the peer mentor room is what they call it, where the program is ran. And I had to sit beside this guy who sold me these drugs. And I had to say, he sold me drugs. Mm. And that guy was, he wasn't even kicked out of the program because I didn't find any drugs on him. So I had this stigma tied to me as the snitch in treatment. So even though I wanted to get high, nobody's going to sell to me now. Because <laughs> so... It, it really screwed me like uh, but it saved my life, I think, too, um, because, you know, 10 days turns into 20 days, 20 turns into 40 for, you know, what, I got 100 days sober. I'm feeling good. I'm working out every day. Um, I'm, I got good friends around me, people who like truly love me and want to hold, you know, see me do better and hold me accountable. More important, more importantly, telling me, hey, you need to stop doing that. I've noticed that this behavior you're doing um, is going to lead you down the wrong path and calling me out. Um, and it just became more attractive, man. Uh, you know, the, the longer, the further away I got away from the substance, the the better I felt. And the more I was able to see how damaging this really was on my life and how I wasted so many years of my life um, chasing, chasing that dragon. So um, it was just a journey, man. It was the eye opening, a high moment of uh, and I definitely owe it to the working those steps that uh, we all know about uh, as well. Really getting to know myself. Uh, doing those those daily inventories, you know, really taking accountability for not not just my actions, um, but for, you know, everything, you know what I mean? Down to what I say to people, um, how I treat people, even if I don't see that I'm wrong in situation, to still see my part in that situation. Um, giving people grace, all those things, you know what I'm saying? Being a man of service. Um, those things just became extremely important to me. And I, I see, I saw the value in all those things. Um, and I really think having my, my son, too, and watching him grow and wanting to instill things into him, um, seeing how important those things are, for sure. So it was definitely a journey, man, um, and I wouldn't change it for anything. That's absolutely a tremendous story, Alex. And that built-in accountability that was in part inflicted upon you and in part self-inflicted, and I definitely stopped believing in coincidences pretty early on in my recovery this time around, now eight plus years in. So I do not believe it's any coincidence that Alex and Nolan, y'all met each other when you did. Nolan, give me the story from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um very similar to Alex, um, but this time around, when I went to the healing transition, so this would this is my second time being there. Um, but this time, the, the very first time, I actually got dropped off by my dad and basically was forced. Right, I was not really forced, just told, "Hey, you're staying here. You can't be home. You figure it out." Um, now this time around, um, I had a full blown 
spiritual experience. Um, one of the craziest moments in my entire life, um, just like you were saying, there are no coincidences. Um, and if you would like me to go into that full experience. Please. Yes. Um, so the first time that I went to the healing transitions, I was there uh, just to wait it out. I was waiting out because I had gotten on a previous accident uh, and I knew I was getting a settlement check. Um, and that settlement check ended up being $100,000. I had wow. to wait to get that, which was roughly six months. So went to the healing transitions, sat there, um, just by buying time. That's really all I did. As soon as I got that check, I left that facility and proceeded to spend all of the $100,000 within two and a half months. And it was all on drugs and alcohol, every single bit of it. Wow. Um, which this is a progressive disease. And, you know, I was doing things that I never in my life thought I would do, um, you know, really became a thief, you know, going around. I, I, when I ran out of that money, I was desperate. I was, I would do anything to be able to get money to be able to buy drugs. And so that's what I did for a few months after I had already spent it um, and became somebody completely different. Like you would not recognize me. I didn't recognize myself, but one day, and, and I, I, I truly believe in God uh, wholeheartedly. And uh, I believe this day he lit something up in, inside of me that I can't really explain. I, I woke up one morning um, and instead of thinking about what am I going to do to go get drugs, uh, I everything hit me. Everything immediately just hit me. And I realized what has just gone on. And I realized that I spent a hundred thousand dollars in two and a half months on drugs and alcohol. I realized that I'm in a motel with holes in the wall. Um, you know, I, I realized I have no vehicle now. I, I, I realized uh, that I'm, I'm literally homeless, just bouncing around, um, freezing to death or almost freezing to death in, in Walmart parking lots. Um, and so the people that I was using drugs with, I immediately turned to them and just said, I, I need, I need to go to prison is what I said. Uh, because I, I thought that, hey, uh, I've tried recovery. I've tried all these things. I've tried rehabs. But just nothing is working. I don't want to die, I, although I wouldn't care if I did. If I overdosed again, I didn't wake up. Great. It's a win-win for everybody. It's my thought process. Um, I didn't have the, the courage to actually kill myself. And so I came up with a plan in my head to go and go into a department store, fill up multiple carts and just walk out the front door and get caught. Um, well, that's exactly what I did. So I went into the store, filled up as much as I possibly could, thousands of dollars worth of, of stuff, walked out the front door in front of the employees, not a single alarm went off and not one employee actually stopped me. And so I got to my car, the, the car that I was using um, and I broke down. I, I just... I, I broke down. I didn't know what to do anymore. Nothing was working. I can't even go to prison when I try to. Um, and so at that point, I'm bawling, crying in the car. Um, I'm just driving around. I'm on this interstate um, going towards a whole other city. I mean, I'm, I'm just driving away and I'm hitting the steering wheel as hard as I possibly could, yelling, um, just screaming. At that point, I hated God. I, I said I didn't believe him, but at that point, I am hitting the steering wheel as hard as I could to the point where I had bloody knuckles, um, hoping that the steering wheel would break off and it would just send me flying in a tree at 80 miles an hour. Um, but as I'm screaming, I just was asking God, I was like, if you're real, why did you make me like this? Why am I like this? Why can't I be more like my father? 
And so soon as I said that, I look up and driving in the opposite direction of me, um, there's my dad driving his vehicle the opposite way in a whole nother city at that exact moment. And right then and there was when a light bulb went off and it just made sense to me. It, it basically what I, what I took it as is God saying, Hey, if you want to, if you want to change your life, uh, if you, if you want to be more like your father, you're driving your life in the wrong direction. You need to turn around. And so it made sense to me. And I turned the vehicle around, drove straight to the on transitions, dropped myself off there and started the program right then and there. I knew exactly what I needed to do, uh, make total sense. And Nolan, that's a spectacular story and one that I could super relate with in so many different ways. Before we get into some of that stuff, I want to just draw the amazing distinctions between Alex, your recovery experience and Nolan, yours. Nolan, you had this spectacular spiritual awakening with a tremendous amount of internal struggle and turmoil culminating in this great moment of clarity and then a conviction of what you need to do. And Alex, you came like, I need to figure out how to get high today. That's what I'm trying to do. I ain't trying to get sober. I ain't trying to get better. And then you were afforded the opportunity to put some distance between you and the substances. Mm. And you had an awakening over a period of time. Yes. A gradual, yes. no less powerful, no less more amazing in a lot of different ways, but very different. And that's really instructive because one can think if I don't have this spectacular moment of clarity followed by a profound conviction that I'm not doing it right. And absolutely that not the case me out for so long, too, is is that not having that burning bush moment, like, and, and going to treatment and hearing other people speak about that moment and me sitting in the back of the room, like that's bullshit. Like he's, <laughs> he's lying or he's high right now. One of the two. Um, so <laughs> it just took me like quite literally doing what I was told to do every day. Um, and like slow, slow and steady. And each day I was doing these things, um, getting those little, little, little rewards. Right. Um, and it just added, it kept adding up, adding up until I looked up and saw how my life was changing. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that, that burning bush moment, not just not, not at all. Right. It, it was hard. It was very hard, but I saw these rewards and I just stayed in the fight because I knew what I did not want to go back to. I knew what I didn't want to go back to. And it just, it just started to make more sense. I, I think staying in the process was the biggest thing that that was quite literally it. Um, it was just like trusting all these people around me saying, Hey, one day at a time, one day at a time, I got tired of hearing that shit. Charles, <laughs> But I just kept doing one day at a time, right? And it just kept adding up until I just I'm like, wow, okay. I, I see what they're talking about now. We're here. We're here, you know? It's it's really amazing to hear that um the, the way that your recovery evolved over time and got you to a place where you look back and really have an understanding of the dramatic 
transformation that you went through, even though it happened over uh, a longer period of time. And I can super relate actually with both. You know, when I got into treatment the second time, my third attempt at recovery, second time in treatment, I wasn't trying to get sober. I was on the back end of a third divorce and I just didn't want to get divorced again. That's it. And for some reason, I got completely honest and broke down in that treatment counselor's office in the intake. I wasn't planning on it. Wasn't what I was trying to do, but I did. And I cried like a baby. And I told somebody for the first time everything, the full scope, scale, all of it. And Nolan, like you, she asked me, what do you want to get out of this thing? And I said, I want to know why I am the way I am. And she laughed at me. And she said, okay, let's say we figure it out. Let's say it's because your mom died when you were 11. Let's say it's because you had big addict and alcoholic switches and they were bound to get tripped or a combination of the two. Do you think if you find out why you are the way you are, you'll ever be able to use safely again? No. Do you ever think you'll be able to drink normally again? No. Okay, should we figure out how we get better? instead of why you are the way you are. And that was that first big light bulb moment. I was like, yes, let's do that, please. Because I don't ever want to feel like I felt coming in here, right, ever again. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get better. And Alex, like you talk about working the steps in order with a sponsor was a transformation for me. And Nolan, like you, I hated God. I wanted nothing to do with God. Nothing. God took my mom away when I was 11. But I was willing to give it a try. And I listened to a lot of Joe and Charlie in the beginning. I'm a big believer that it took Bill and Bob to write the big book and Joe and Charlie to explain it. And they just said, run the experiment. Don't worry about the process. Just run the experiment. That's what I did. I just did the steps in order with a sponsor to the best of my ability. And I experienced a profound transformation in mind, body and spirit. And it sounds like very much both of you did too, so much so that you decided that you were going to start something quite spectacular and quite amazing in recess games. So please tell us all about recess games why you decided to start it and what it brings to the recovery community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, while Alex and I were both at the Healing Transitions, um, this this is typically a year-long program, maybe a little bit longer, just depending on how quickly you work it. Um, but as we're getting, you know, used to being sober and just understanding working the steps and really just getting a good understanding of you know, how to stay sober and why it's important to do so, um, we got to a point to where that became our way of life. You know, it just became normal. We felt good. But we had one question that just we, we didn't know how to answer at the time was, OK, great. We, we, we know how to say sober. We're sober now. We're clean. Um, but how do we have fun? Right. Like we, we look at, you know, friends, we look at family members, anytime that they want to get together, anytime that they want to go have fun, everybody says, let's go to a bar. Let's go to each other's house and watch football, drink beers, you know, all of these things. And we know that we just can't do that. So we need to find something else. Uh, and we just kind of talked to each other and said, 
hey, what did we do when we were younger? Like, what did we do when we were, you know, kids when you didn't even drink or drug? And immediately uh, we just thought of recess. And so we were like, well, we need to bring that to this community um, because a lot of us missed out on on that type of fun when we were younger, um, just dealing with ourselves and drugs and alcohol or even family members, just not yeah. being able to experience that. And so that's how we came up with Recess Games USA. And uh, we started it pretty much right then and there. I love that. And it's an interesting commentary that, you know, as kids, you know, we found plenty of things to entertain ourselves and we didn't need to drink or drug. It wasn't even part of our uh, mindset that that needed to be a part of daily life in order to be able to have a good time. But we live in a very alcohol centric culture, do we not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what kind of things and what kind of activities does recess games provide and engage in so quite literally any anything that can build genuine connection um with two different groups we call that recess games um and one thing we, we noticed when starting recess games usa is uh we were trying to pull out that that childlike fun and wonder um and put that into adults um including ourselves right um so we started out playing kickball on the weekends, and then we had people saying, hey, can we play softball next weekend? And we we're like, I mean, I guess let's let's just, okay, let's do it. Um, started doing that, and then we're finding out you need permits, and you have to, to rent these different fields, and we're realizing all these costs are associated with this, and myself being literally homeless right. um, and pulling, working a job, making, what, 10 bucks an hour, we we're like, we can't do this on our own. So we started raising money privately, um, and different people in recovery were funding these events, and um, we had the blessing during COVID, um, the, the one blessing that came out of COVID, to to work on our paperwork, become an official uh, nonprofit recognized by the state and federal government. Um, we were blessed with to have someone help us do that financially. Um, and we did so, and we've kind of never looked back. We've kind of um, really, it's really opened our eyes to see that not only people in recovery, but people, normal people, who need to quote unquote unplug, right? Um, not worry about the kids running around the house, dirtying up the place, not worry about the bills that are due on the first of the month. Um, not, not thinking about the, the, the task your, your, your boss gave you to do all week that you haven't done. Um, you get to come to our event and just not think about anything, not think about anything at all. Just have good, clean fun and then build meaningful and purposeful relationships. And then we notice business owners coming out and meeting with people with two weeks clean and, um, that person with two weeks clean saying, hey, uh, I, I was a carpenter, but I sold all my tools for crack cocaine. Um, but you own a carpentry business. So, hey, can you give me a job? And th that person gets a job or we invite someone out who is not so active. So he decides to paint in the stands and a painting that he's doing. He ends up selling to a member of the community and they build a, a relationship. And then that guy ends up selling uh, a painting to a, a Raleigh City magistrate and developing a relationship there. So we start noticing all these connections were happening and, and different people were doing things. And more importantly, nobody was thinking about getting high the whole time they were out there. That was the biggest thing for me um, is, is getting a guy who we pull up to a treatment center and he's on the curb because he's about to leave with all his bags. And, you know, we tell him, hey, man, get in the car with us, dude. Just I promise you, look, if you come and, you, you know, and you think about getting high while you're playing softball with us the whole time, I promise you, I'll let you go on. But. If you come and, you know, you know, you just have good a good time with us, you eat some pizza, you meet some people and you still want to come back to, to treatment, then let's do that. 
and getting that guy in the car and him coming to our event and then him making the decision to go back to hell and transition to get clean and sober. And he's sober still to this day. So like seeing all those things happen gives you those, I'm giving me chill but I'm talking about it now, but seeing all those things happen, like how it's changing people's lives and seeing that this has become bigger than me and Nolan, seeing that this has become our purpose, that P word we've been talking about. Um, that really just changed the game for, I think, not only for myself and Nolan, but just for everybody in our community. And honestly, uh, Charles, uh, you think about recess, there's no specific thing in recess. Recess is, it includes everything. You think about being a kid and the, the recess bell rings in school, everything in your mind kind of stops and you just think, I'm going outside to hang out with friends, whether it's playing flag football, whether it's playing tag, whether it's uh, you know, kids on the side just talking and chatting, eating a sandwich. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter what you do. Recess includes everything. And that's that's why we came up with this name is to include anyone and everyone. Everyone can come out to these events. It's not just sports. I love that it's super inclusive. And I, I really love the community and the connection. We evolved as human beings to be in community. It's so essential to our well-being. And Addiction and alcoholism are diseases of isolation. My addiction wants to get me alone and kill me. Yep. That's what it wants. And so connection and community is the antidote. And what you said, Alex, about the individual that you picked up and brought to this community and is still in recovery to this day reminds me of the Joe and Charlie bit. Hey, just run the experiment. And if you're not happy with the result, we'll happily refund your misery. Yeah, yeah. That, that's our insanity. Right. Charles is we we stay in the process of, 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 of dr drinking and drugging and we spend literally tens of thousands of dollars and we get the treatment and we think we're going to get there and it's going to be an easy process. We ah. Well, that you said 12 steps uh, or you said I got to hang out with people and talk. That just seems like too much. Well, what's the alternative? What were you doing before? <laughs> Not too much. Um, and that's that. that's just it is just, you know, doing what you're told. And I think the humility piece of just accepting. I don't know shit. Let me just shut up and let me hop in this person's back pocket who has 30 years clean. And he told me you need to do this. And I want you to call me every day and I want you to do all these things. and I don't know if it's going to work, but everything I've tried hasn't worked. So why not try it? When we have connection and community and purpose and can afford ourselves opportunities to be of service, we're building a life where we don't want to go back to no. what we were doing before no. because this life is better because it's more fulfilling, because there's joy, because there's fun in it. And even the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we're not a glum lot, right? I mean, I know not. right? Like if this, if it sucked being sober and in recovery and it was just drudgery, why would we do it? That's not sustainable, right? So I love the fun element. I love the community. I love the connection element. I love the inclusivity. All of it is absolutely tremendous. Recess Games USA. Check the show notes right now. I have a handy link. 
Recess Games USA. We have some closing questions. Are you gentlemen ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Nolan, what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? Yeah, daily. Um, pretty much getting up in the morning. Um, you know, on my alarm, which has been a struggle at some points, uh, but immediately uh, taking some time just to, to meditate. And my meditation is a little bit different. Everybody has a different way, but it's to just have some time to myself, um, just sitting there, just reflecting on my day, what's coming up, just taking the time to get my thoughts together. Um, but also working with individuals in recovery every single day. Um, I actually have a side job, which I am doing recovery coaching with an IOP group, um, working with multiple people. I also sponsor individuals um, who I take through the steps, which is extremely important for myself. Um, and this is this is basically a daily routine for me. And at the end of the night, obviously, reflecting on my day, uh, working on becoming a better person each and every single moment in my life, uh, no matter what it is. Um, always, always just thinking, can I be better in this situation? What can I do better here? Have I harmed anybody it, at, it today at all um, or in just in general? Um, so it's a it's a daily grind, but I love it. And it's this is my this is my recovery and this is my life now. It's a new way of life that I've grown to absolutely love um, and would never want to lose it. That's absolutely tremendous. I heard a whole bunch in there, spirituality and purpose and connection and all of that are integral to a meaningful and enduring recovery. Alex, same question for you. What does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? Uh, the big thing for me is kind of along with the same lines of what Nolan was speaking about um, is that whole meditation, spirituality piece. Uh, you know, I wake up, um, take time quietly, thanking the man above for the day and just being here. And um, and that also goes within my actions, too. Like, you know, I have a seven year old son and my, my, my partner, she's pregnant right now. And not thinking about myself in the morning, helping where I can, you know, fitting into where I, I can be of service, I can help. And not complaining about it. That's the big one. Not, <laughs> uh, not, not getting upset because my son wants to argue with me about what he's going to wear at school. You know what I mean? Um, just for today, the NA just for today is really big for me. Um, reading that every day and seeing how that applies and how it's so fitting to my day. Um, and really towards the end of the day, man, just noticing when I'm wrong. I could mute um, an hour, hour two, then an hour from, from work. And quite often I'll call someone. Uh, on that, on the way home, and I'll be thinking about where I was wrong and something like, "Hey, man, I just wanted to say I apologize for how I handled this." And that person's always so surprised when I do this, um, you know. And I do that just so I can acknowledge where you know I was wrong throughout the day, um, taking accountability and just giving grace, man, where I need to. Um, and also those meetings, that 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 M word, and getting to meetings um, haven't been the best. We'll say in terms of get going to meetings, but. I always make sure that I'm staying prayed up, I'm reading um, and just helping where I need. I, although I do work in a treatment center, I deal with uh, young adult men, um, spoiled guys. Right. Just like myself and Nolan were. So, like, I, I know how it is. And giving those guys grace, uh, trying to hold them accountable, keeping the thin line between accountability and also having fun and recovery. Um, but also helping out people like we were talking about earlier, the guy on the sign flying a sign, helping him get linked up with treatment. Hey, man, talking to him. Hey, you. How long have you been out here? What have you been doing? I know of a place you can go. I actually, I went there. 
Um, and not, not a lot of times they, they take me up on it and go to treatment, but there may be one person I may convince to go out of that month and that's a win. Um, so yeah, just that, that continue c- continuous maintenance is just really, you don't graduate from this thing. You don't get to a place to where you're cured. Um, there's a story in the book, uh, the big book that talks about the guy, you know, who had 30 years and he knew it was a bad idea to drop that whiskey in that, uh, in that cup of milk. He yeah. knew it was a bad idea and he still did it. And that guy ends up dying five years later after having 30 years sober. So, um, not looking at this thing, like. I'm always fearful of, 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 of going back and relapsing and blowing my life to shit. Um, but just like thinking like, yeah, that's just not worth it. And I know it's not worth it because I think about it. I remember it. I remember how it was. Um, I see it on a daily basis with this fentanyl epidemic going on right now. Um, I see the way addiction breaks up lives. I see the way it sends people to prison. Um, I see it turn people into people they don't want to be. And I just don't miss that, Charles. Not at all. I just don't miss that at all. Alex, there was so much in that, and I loved all of it. It reminds me that a gentleman in my home group that I was just at this morning went back out after 25 years. And look, if I don't go to meetings, I don't see that. Mm. And I need that. Yeah. Because... I have the ability to get complacent just like any other human being in recovery. Mm-hmm. So I need to continue to show up so that I am presented with that reality, that that can be me. I know how to relapse. I stop going to meetings. I stop doing what I need to do on a daily basis, connecting to my higher power and other people in recovery. And sooner or later, Chuck, who's my alter addiction ego starts talking on my ear like hey you're not going to those meetings anymore and you're still sober it probably wasn't those meetings you're not praying anymore and you're still sober it probably wasn't your higher power you probably stayed sober all that time by yourself and you probably could drink again and it's only a matter of time man uh, after that no doubt about it and i love your 10th step piece because one of the best things about doing a 10th step is the funny look on people's faces when you tent step them, you know, because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, I got to do this. This wasn't right. Like I, that came off the wrong way or I stepped on that person's toes or I was crabby here or judgmental there. And you tent step them because I have to, in order to stay sober. And, you know, a lot of times you're like, what? <laughs> so I love that. That's great. All right. Next question, Alex, you're up first. What book or piece of recovery literature had the biggest impact on your recovery? The NA workbook, definitely. Um, I worked the Narcotics Anonymous Steps, um, and it was something I did not want to do. Um, a lot of it, it, it's all about where you are, right? And in particular with healing and transitions, it seems to be it was a meeting race to climb throughout, to get to to further yourself into the program. Like it's who hits the most meetings, and we would go to certain meetings where certain other people were at because you know we're at an all men's shelter, so you want to go to the meeting that all the ladies are at. And uh, my sponsor caught wind of this. It happened on a Wednesday night, and he was like, "Okay, I want you going to this NA meeting, which is an all men's meeting every Wednesday night." And I started doing that, and I start. I see how it was helping me. He was like, all right, okay, you've been doing this for about 30 days. Now let's let's start this ain't workbook. And he showed me his step one. It was like 60 pages long. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And he was like, well, you're going to do that. 
Well, matter of fact, you don't have to do this. This is what I did. If you want, this is what you got to do. So I did it. You know, I cried while I was doing it. I got super angry while I was doing it, went through the, all, those, all those emotions. But I just saw it helping me. I saw um, I saw the change. I saw how like how I could go off a thought and just write 10 pages on that one thought. And I saw actually breaking all those things down that I went through and saying like, oh, wow, I forgot about that. That did happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. Still have it in my house to this day. I have to lock it up or the partner will read that step four. So I got to be sure she does it. But yeah, just um, the NA workbook for sure. That's the biggest piece. Absolutely tremendous. Nolan, what piece of recovery literature or quit lit had the biggest impact on your recovery? Yeah, and mine was the big book, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, that book changed my life. It, uh, the way I look at that book um, is really it's just an instruction manual to life for uh, an al- uh, alcoholic or, or an addict. It, I made it that simple. I had to keep it that simple for me. And so really it was just stories and really, literally directions on, hey, here's how you live this new way of life. This is what you do. Just follow this. Here you go. And if you do what this says, you are going to have a, a wonderful life. You're going to be a wonderful person. And you'll be able to um, do your best every single day to right any wrongs that you've made in the past and continue doing it the rest of your life. So it made sense to me and um, worked worked through it with a sponsor who was able to break it down for me and and uh, continue doing that today with other sponsees. An old timer in my home group, bless her heart, always says that the 12 steps are a design for living. And I couldn't agree more. And to harken back to Joe and Charlie, they said to look at the big book like a textbook. It's a textbook that shows you how to recover. And I couldn't agree more. We've got, we usually ask a load more, but we're going to condense a little bit here. So the next question I have for Alexander is what is the best piece of advice you've received in recovery? Mm, That's a good question. It sounds very like um, cliche and trivial, but I would say one day at a time, is the best piece of advice I got. And I didn't really understand what that meant until like a year in, um, but not even just one day at a time, one hour at a time, mm-hmm. uh, one minute at a time. You got just it. Just being able to understand that, you know, this will pass, you know, that, that feeling of anger, that feeling of mm. that, that mental obsession, wanting to drink that, that day, want to do this. If I just sit, take it one day at a time. This too shall pass. Um, and that's been super helpful for me. And I apply that to any and everything now, any and everything, um, family issues, physical illnesses, uh, being stressed, uh, anything, wanting to drink that day or having a using dream or something like that. Um, it will pass. That feeling will go past. And then once it does, I'm good to go. And I, but then once it passes, that's another dollar in that recovery bank of realizing, OK, this works. OK, I got through it. That this is something that I can continue to do to know, like, wow, it's, I'm not going to my body is not going to explode because I want to get so high. Like, and I don't do it. I'm going to just explode. Like, nah, you're going to be cool, man. Just relax. Just relax. 
I love it. And yeah, they might sound trite. They might be cliches, but they are profoundly true. And these sayings can be really helpful when we are in a tough spot, when we're in a moment of weakness where we're feeling especially vulnerable potentially to doing something we don't want to do. And we can think about one of these things that's relevant. This too shall pass. And we know that because we see other people in recovery who have meaningful and enduring recovery that have been where we've been and they got through it and they say this too shall pass. And I believe that now. And once we start being able to implement that in our own lives, we're proving it to ourselves too, right? Nolan, best piece of recovery advice. Yeah, so I actually have two and two different points in my recovery journey. But the very beginning, when I uh, went to the Young Transitions and met with a sponsor, asked him to sponsor me, the very first thing he said to me is, do not think. And at, the, at that moment, I didn't really understand what he was saying. Once he explained it, it made total sense to me. And that's where I came up with the big book, the instruction manual to life. And I asked him, what do you mean don't think? How do you not think? And he was like, you don't have to. Here's this right here. And myself will tell you exactly what to do. And that's it. You don't have to think about bills. You don't have to think about anything. You were in a homeless shelter. You have nothing to worry about right now. So literally do not think, and this will work. And that just made total sense to me um, because my thinking gets me into trouble. So I'm going to let this book do it for me and my sponsor. Um, And then the second one was months down the road, probably close to a year uh, after I've gone through all the steps and I'm ready to start sponsoring people. uh, My sponsor at that time, just, he looked at me and and he said, you have something that other people do not. Um, And I asked him what that meant. And he said, You have experiences, you have uh, recovery, um, you've worked steps, and you have this new way of life right now that there are people out there that have no experiences that you have, uh, have not gone through the steps, have not had this time in recovery, and aren't in a position to sponsor people, uh, which gives you purpose. Um, You have purpose today. And I believe that is why I was put on this earth in the first place. And that made total sense to me because, you know, people who are not in recovery, yes, there's therapists out there, there's uh, doctors, there's all these people that do great help, but they don't have the experience we have. And so we have something that we can speak to other alcoholics and and addicts um, that others cannot, um, which really opened my eyes at that point, right at about a year in, just made total sense to where I was like, wow, you know, I, I feel like I have purpose today. There is a reason why I'm here and I'm not about to waste this. Um, so those those are the two for me. I love it that both of you gave a two for one on the best pieces of advice and recovery. And I couldn't agree more with the do not think. And my best thinking got me where I ended up in treatment for the second time, third time at recovery on the back end of a third divorce. So action was the key for me, not thinking. I had to act my way 
into right thinking, not think my way into right living. That was the key for me. And I couldn't agree more that our lived experience in addiction and then recovery is a true superpower in terms of purpose. Oh, yeah. The next one's a doozy, and then we end with a fun one. Alex, you're up. What is something you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Um, I think one thing I haven't forgiven myself for is when I was in a treatment center in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I discharged, I ended up going to a form of recovery housing. Um, They had curfews, all types of guidelines you had to live within. And I made up a lie so I can go to a concert with a girl saying that my mom had cancer. Uh, I just found out she had cancer. And um, I needed to go. And everybody felt so sorry for me. They're like, yeah, man, of course, go ahead. Um, fast forward, six months later, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Um, for a long time, I say I forgive myself for it, but I, I do believe that, that words do hold power. Um, and I, I really struggled with that one. And through a lot of work with my sponsor, I was able to finally not super get over it. But um, I had to forgive myself because I, I feel like I'm somewhat responsible. I know it's crazy for me to think that, but, um, but yeah, that, that's one thing that, uh, that really, I really, really struggled with yeah. my couple years in sobriety and still do kind of to this day. Um, uh, but I'm just open about it. I just talk about it for a long time. I didn't tell anybody about that lie. I didn't tell anybody that I, I felt responsible for that, but I tell a ton of people about it. Everybody said the same thing. No one's even told me, man, you, you had nothing to do with that, blah, blah, blah. And I know everybody's going to say that, but that's how I get through it. It's just talking about it for sure. And that's huge. And that's so relatable, Alex. And forgiveness of others and self is a process. Yeah. And often even like when I feel like it's gone and it's gone for like six months, sometimes it crops back up again. So it's definitely a process and something that's not linear and I can totally get why you feel that way, even though I, too, like, that ain't your fault, but I can definitely uh, understand why you struggle with that. And that's real. And and you get to talk about that and other people can relate to it, too. And so that's that's awesome. Nolan. Yeah, uh, for me, I don't think uh, I, I do believe that I've gotten to a point in my life that I forgive myself and have forgiven pretty much anybody who's ever wronged me in, in any way, if they ever have, uh, or vice versa. Um, I will say though, there are times just like you were saying where things crop up, um, and I struggle with frustrations or trust with a lot of certain things. And I'll give one specific example, um, during COVID, um, you know, we, we were locked down. Uh, I watched places like the Healing Transitions um, be forced to shut down and close mm-hmm. their doors, which is a place that put me uh, to where I am today. Without that place, I would not be here. I would never have found the steps. I never would have met Alex. Um, and I watched these places, many facilities, uh, be forced to close their doors to a point to where they turn people away. And that year, I we both both of us watched more people die from addiction than ever before. Um, just being refused service and going right back out uh, with no hope and overdosing. Uh, we could probably name ten people right off the top of our head that we know personally that that passed away. 
And uh, it is, it took me a very long time to forgive uh, just what happened um, and people who went along with it. Um, but I will say today, I, I have gotten to a place where I forgive those things. I will say that at the same time, it's still very frustrating to think about. Um, and it causes me some trust issues uh, with, a, with a lot of different people and facilities and, you know, just government as a whole. So um, when it comes to forgiveness, I do forgive. Um, but I will say I'm still, still a bit frustrated. Yeah, that's a really good point you bring up in the heat of that pandemic and the shutdowns and the dramatic effect that it had on folks that certainly were in a place that could have used services and could have saved lives. And that is a profound impact from uh, what was just a terrible situation all the way around from a public health perspective. You say you got to a place of forgiveness, and that's not on accident, right? That's on purpose. And for me, I practice forgiveness of myself and others every day on purpose, not because I'm trying to be more spiritual than y'all, but because I have to. Because if I pick up resentments, and I will, okay, that is a slippery slope for me. So I must let go of resentment of self and others every day, knowing that stuff can come back up. And that's why I do it every day. It is like showering, right? <laughs> it is. I very much view it that way. All right. Here's the fun one. Nolan, what song symbolizes recovery to you? Ooh, what song? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, I've—I'll be honest with you—I'm not really a big music person. I like music. Don't get me wrong. I just—I'd much rather listen to podcasts. Is kind of my <laughs> thing. Um, and uh, so I could probably name a few <laughs> different podcasts that definitely. Will Pivot, what podcast symbolizes recovery to you? Well, um, something that's really important to me is, uh, you know, just motivation and just really becoming a better person overall. Um, so, uh, you know, I would listen to audiobooks and different podcasts, especially with people like David Goggins. I know that's a controversial person. Half the people in the comments that are going to watch this are probably going to say, oh, my gosh, he's He's terrible. Other people are going to say he's great. Um, but just hearing his story, hearing his story and just seeing what he's gone through um, just has really shown me that really anything's possible. And this path that I'm on is for a purpose. Um, I'm supposed to be here right now in this moment um, and just use this on to do the best I possibly can uh, and give it my 100% uh, and don't short, uh, short myself uh, when it comes to these things. So Anything with David Goggins on there. Um, I love the podcast Joe Rogan simply because he has multiple different types of people that go on there. And there's a lot of times people that are um, talking to, you know, about uh, mental state and uh, recovery in general, like Andrew Huberman's a big one. Um, so for me, it's a lot of listening to other people talk um, as well as speaker tapes and things like that. Um, so that's that's what's been big for me in recovery. I love that. I listened to a lot of speaker tapes early in my recovery, for sure. And they were really instrumental for me 
those stories were accessible when I couldn't be in a meeting. And I got to listen to people who felt like I felt, thought like I thought, did what I did and got better. And I learned so much and connected so much through other people's recovery stories. And so that's huge. And the very reason this podcast exists is to share recovery stories like yours, Nolan, and yours, Alex. Alex, what song symbolizes recovery to you? I was just looking at my Spotify to, to, to come up with a good answer. And I would say right now, because I love music so much, I'm kind of on the opposite spectrum as Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Um, One More Chance by an artist named Wiki. Um, Wiki's a, he's a rapper I've always really uh, enjoyed. Um, he was known for being like that wild guy. I'm always walking around New York City with a 40 and talking about, you know, using ass and all types of drugs and whatnot. He's missing a front tooth um, for just being a crazy person. And uh, he actually is in recovery now. And he has a song called One More Chance. And it's him and another guy in it. And they're talking about their love for one another and like this this heterosexual, like masculine way of like how they got each other through this. And like they're admiring each other in their verses about like what they see in each other. And it's just a beautiful song. I love it. I love it. I listen to it probably every day. Um, but yeah, I would say that one for sure. One more chance by Wiki and Navy Blue. Alex, it's a tremendous song recommendation. And I'm a huge music head myself. So man, after my own heart for sure. And that is a way out podcast first in terms of a song recommendation. So check the show notes right now for a handy link to one more chance by Wiki and a handy link to our curated Spotify playlist that has all of the song recommendations of all of the amazing guests we've had to date. In the show notes is a handy link to Recess Games USA, so you can definitely check that out, as well as both Nolan and Alex's best pieces of recovery advice and their quit-lit recommendations. Nolan, Alex, thank you both so much for sharing your journeys to and through recovery to this point and all about Recess Games. You guys are doing tremendous work for the recovery community and color me grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Charles. We really appreciate this. I'm grateful to be here. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate the platform. And thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land for your ears. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, 
your sobriety date will.